0: Bridget and team. We found ourselves in our evening service uh, over the last couple of weeks following a, a little series that just happened upon us uh, that I began a few weeks ago about wisdom uh, to have a little think about wisdom literature and uh, if you, I'm not going to quiz you on those and sort of see if you remembered, but the wisdom literature, the main bits are Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes, but it's not the only wisdom literature in the Bible, some of the Psalms, uh, some of what Jesus teaches, Um, but wisdom crops up all over, and I thought this evening before next week's service of of Inspiring Stories, we'd have a little think about, a little bit more about wisdom. Wisdom is about how we live wisely or foolishly. Phil helped us a couple of weeks ago on um, Tree of, a tree of life in Proverbs that brings life, wisdom brings life. So I want to, to read three passages, and um, they're in the Old Testament, uh, apart from the Gospel and apart from Revelation, and uh, I'll try and make a bit of sense of some of it for you. So first of all, um, Chris, we're going to be in Revel- uh, Daniel chapter 9 and verses 19. 28 I'm reading, I, I did a bit of a senior moment this morning, I forgot my Bible, left it at the church, the school where we meet in the morning, so I'm, I know, I, was, I left without it, I felt bereft all day. So I'm using one of the church Bibles, which I, I was going to say I feel unfamiliar with. It's not that it's different, but it's a different print and it's, it's laid out slightly differently and I feel, it doesn't feel like the friend that I had and Phil's offering is me his, but... I'll, do, I'll stumble along and I'll gain some sympathy from you uh, with this one. It's all the word. I'm not saying that we're reading different Bibles, not at all. So, verse uh, 19 of chapter 9 of Daniel. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for... You are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come, who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. You're all thinking, I'm really courageous now reading that one, aren't you? The one you've always wanted to know what it says. So, uh, Revelation uh, chapter 11. Let me just add to uh, the the jeopardy of this sermon. Uh, Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 to 18. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to in the earth in full view of men, people. Because of the signs he, is given, he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or his forehead. And so no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. And finally, to Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 to 31. Are we all in the edge of your seats, aren't you, thinking, what's gonna, this message going to be like? I know, it feels like <laughs> it's that hole I was digging earlier. Okay, so, uh, Revelation chapter 10, verse 16, and follow. Sorry, Matthew, my, my apologies, Matthew 10. Here we go, Matthew 10, 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against people, uh, men, in my translation. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it, will not be, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will, be, that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. Whisper What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I've called this message a word for the wise. And you've no doubt heard in the readings that there's a lot of numbers being introduced. For all of us, I think, in here, yeah, pretty much, um, there was a time when we used to remember phone numbers. Do you remember that? We could re- recount quite a lot of phone numbers off memory. Now we have them all recorded on our device, and we don't so much. Numbers play a big part in your life. Often asked a national insurance number. I've eventually learned mine. Um, if you've got uh, a card, I know we do contactless now, but we have to remember a pin or two or three if you have other cards. Numbers occur a lot in our life. And people have always been fascinated uh, by numbers and how they work and what they do for good and bad reasons. Just by way of a little bit of fun, uh, it's a little bit of a party trick, I'm not reading your mind just to clarify this. But would you join with me in this little game? It'll make you think. Because we've got to warm you up for this message. No, I'm t- joking. So, I want you to think, don't speak it out loud. You've got to do this in your head. I want you to think of a number between one and nine. And I want you to multiply that number by nine. So you've got another number, and it. It has two digits. Is that right? It's got two two digits. Separate those two digits and add them together. So you should have another number, a single number. Is that right? Good. And then I want you to take away five from that number. This is mental agility. Brilliant. You're doing so well. So you've taken away five, so you've got another number. Now... I want you to find the letter that corresponds to that number. By that, I mean that if number one is A, number two is B, number three is C, what letter corresponds to the number in your head? Got that? Good. Now, with that letter that you have, think of a country that begins with that letter. Yeah, first one that comes to mind. And then take the second letter of that country. We're nearly there, don't worry. Take the second letter of that country and think of an animal begin, that, that begins with that letter. Yeah? And then I want you to think of the color of that animal. So, hands up if you have a grey elephant from Denmark. A goat? I think your maths went a bit haywire there, Hermie. <laughs> Sorry? An eagle. Nice. From Denmark. Yeah. An emu. Oh, you see, you're, you're really kind of thinking outside the, the zoo. Anyway, it's a bit of fun. Um, it is believed that the Greek philosopher Pythagoras, you'll have come across him. Um, it's thought that he discovered the relationship between the sound you hear with music when you pluck a string and the relation of that to a mathematical number so uh, when I was learning to play the piano and the guitar often things are tuned around an A which has a frequency of 440 hertz that it vibrates 440 times a second and that's defined as A. And he was really, really interested and really, really excited about that because he thought that numbers, mathematics, in some way gave a clue to the meaning of the universe. That if music, which they would hear, corresponded to something mathematical, maybe they could begin to work out what it was all about. And I guess in in modern times, in the advance of modern science, that which we are recipients of now, we could probably affirm much of that. And behind much of modern science is mathematics, the relationship between a mathematical formula, E equals mc squared, and the way that the universe is structured. Now, this is the limit of my mathematical skill, and It's not one of my strengths. Numbers and meaning. And scientists, those who believe, have often found this a place of worship because in the discovery of maths, of organization, of of beauty, they've perceived order out of chaos and see that actually there is structure, there is definition That if there is to be a God, and many mathematicians believe in a God, then God must be a great mathematician. That in Maths Beyond My Reckoning, they point to this sense that with order and structure, there can be meaning found. Occasionally, when I had to do maths, I would whoop for joy if I had a, a, a difficult uh, problem sum and I managed to work it out or I managed to grasp something, even, even if it seemed beyond me at the first place. Some people love numbers. And we've got an accountant over there. You love numbers, I think, don't you, Dan? You did love numbers. Yeah. You've had enough of numbers. Some people love it. But the thing about numbers that do point to structure and design, created order, it's not random. It's not chaos. Numbers can also lead us badly astray. People, sometimes you can find things on the internet, should you choose to look, that so use numbers and there's a kind of whole numerology about the Bible. I don't mean the numbers that we've read, but people find all sorts of bizarre patterns in the secret way. Of interpreting scriptures, I don't really think it's very helpful, and it appears to be more like a a technical word is a Gnostic thing that you need special knowledge to actually truly interpret. Jesus came and made God plain to us, and the scriptures point us to Jesus. The nature of numbers, and, and I'll come to what I read in the text in a moment, is that sometimes we can be so fixated on the data, the numbers. That we can turn everything into a statistic or a probability or simply a number and we forget that in life numbers actually have meaning purpose value so i don't know if you've noticed over the last two years when we've had covid statistics and they've had that dashboard and however many hundreds of thousands of people have been infected and Tragically, millions of people infected, and tragically, over 150,000 people have died in some way related to COVID. That it, it kind of trips off the tongue, but actually, that number, each one represents a person, a human being with a life and a story and relationships of preciousness. When we come to numbers, we have to remember to what they refer. You know, we may hear numbers to say that fewer people have been killed on the road this year than others. But still, each and every one of those is a personal disaster and grief that lies behind each one. When we come to the numbers of Scripture, we must recognize they're not just to be interpreted as curious things to provoke us into sort of mental avenues of, of wonderment. But they're there to draw us in faith to the Lord who knows. Did you hear at the end of one of those readings, it talks about the need for wisdom in interpreting them? As we've been discovering through this series, wisdom is really important. That, that in Proverbs, wisdom is personified and said, Seek after wisdom, she is precious. And Phil helped us to say that that is like a tree of life for us when we have wisdom. Pursue wisdom, ask for wisdom, see wisdom as most precious. Because wisdom helps us navigate, interpret, find our way through life. As, I, as we've read, numbers have come up a lot in our readings. They're all over the Bible. You can get all sorts of lists. There's even a book of the Bible called numbers, and it has lots of counting in it. Numbers matter. For Daniel, uh, the number seven takes a lot of pres- precedence. Um, we heard it, the seven sevens. But seven crops up a lot. There's seven letters to the churches in Revelation. Number occurs lots. Six day, seven days of creation, six of work, one of rest. It's a number that points to perfection. It's a number that speaks and it, and has a meaning attached to it that is speaking as whole or complete or perfect. Chapter thirteen. This calls for wisdom. Let him who has understanding reckon the number for the beast. It's a man's number. It's the number six hundred and sixty-six. I guess one way of taking that is if the number of seven is perfection. 666 is complete imperfection because it's less than the perfect. One way of taking that. The thing about that number in Revelation is there's a lot of effort to work out who it applies to. Have you ever seen that? People kind of do all sorts of Um, like Sudoku with with people's names. And they write it out and they tabulate the numbers attached to it. And, and, you know, with a bit of creativity, you can make it mean pretty much anyone you want, from the latest pope or a pope you didn't like, to the Emperor Nero, to Adolf Hitler, to Hillary Clinton, to Stalin, and probably, if you dislike me, me. (laughs) There's a challenge. Don't show me. Indeed, it seems to be often a number that we just take and apply to the person we most dislike and think most represents the antithesis of everything we think to be good and true. There, though, that's the one. That's the Antichrist. That is the personification of everything bad. But when we read Revelation... I think the fact is that John expected his readers to be able to discover the person that he meant. He says, you will be able to calculate, you will be able to reckon the number and know who this is. The trouble for us is this, is that we've now lost the key. That every suggestion that has been put forward since seems to disqualify them from being the actual person that John was writing about or the people of the first century that John wrote to from the Isle of Patmos would understand. And I think, actually, that's a good thing. But before I come to that, we recognize that the verses that are being described that John is referring to really do describe an unsavory character the first half of the chapter, which described the beast who came up out of the sea and made war on the saints. And this beast is pretty strongly argued and, and, and pretty certain, represents the Roman ruler. The one who is in deep oppression of the early church, of those handful of believers who were scattered and fearful because of the tyranny and the great power of the Roman institution, the empire, of all its means to stamp out this fledgling family of faith. And he came out of the sea to Asia where John's church was and persecuted them in the name of the empire. The second beast in the chapter arises from the earth, and and I think this probably represents local rulers who exercise power in the name of Rome. It's a, a collaboration Of one giving authority to the other to continue this despotic act of stamping out faith of Jesus' followers. The beast, says John, exercises all the authority of the first beast. In other words, the power has been delegated. It's the puppet vassal of Rome doing its will in accord with what the master wishes despite that, it's very, very powerful, even able to apparently work miracles. It makes the local people make an image of that beast. In other words, take on and want to adopt its like. Probably a reference to the fact that everyone was commanded to bow down and call Caesar lords, worship him as God, not the true Lord Jesus Christ. That Rome wasn't just some imaginary power, but was very real and day-to-day and matter-of-fact. It had both the power to control economy. You only have to hear stories of the early church to see the, uh, the current persecuted church to know that this is worked out. They can control economy such that someone who conforms gets a cheaper rate to buy rice or food than someone who professes loyalty to Jesus. Persecution. Don't believe me? Read the website for Open Doors. They can control whether you're evicted. Friends in India, we had a house group. We, the, the owners of the house didn't like that. Came, made a fuss, and the next day they chucked them out on the street. You're not welcome here. We don't want your money. You're out. And even controlling over life and death. The revelation says, without being marked by the beast, no one may buy it or sell goods. In other words, the method of the power of control is total. And we've seen it, and we, we only have to read for a short time world history to know how authorities still seek to use their control, absolute control over people's lives even more so now in a digital world. But it's no different, really, to the effect on day-to-day life of ordinary sisters and brothers. Like them, too, we we heard in the book of, of Daniel, and again, the story again and again in Daniel is of people remaining true to God and yet being compelled even to the very edge of life to conform Shadrach. She and Abednego, no thrown into the fire because they wouldn't worship. You see, at the heart of following Jesus and at the heart of life is this contrast of who do we follow? Because there's a vying for that. We're all in the maelstrom between these things. Will we seek and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, the firstborn from among the dead? Or be complicit with the powers and principalities of this age? We are provided two options. The guise of this is very different you know, for North Korea and, and Burma and Russia Pol Pot regime, various iterations of right wing or extreme left wing, or do we remain true to the living Lord who has called us by name? Of course, we know that this beast will be slain. When people have attributed this number, this 666, to previous despots, tyrants, Hitler might fit the bill, Stalin, others, A lot going for them, I suppose. But recognize the word of God is timeless. It, it does apply to more than one person. Just in the 20th century, that role, that place, that position could be filled by many. But this reminds us about the interesting thing that our, about our text is not the number, but the words that introduce us towards this number. Having in Revelation described the beast from the land, the ruler under whose oppression his people were groaning, the author John says, This calls for wisdom. The key is not that we get out our calculator and do the math but he's kind of sharing with them a little bit of a private joke. He says, after all, anyone with intelligence can solve his mathematical problem. It's wisdom that's the key. Wisdom. And that's the point of what I said earlier. Numbers can appear very startling and give clues to all kind of things, but in this most Essential, serious issue, wisdom, is better. Wisdom really is the true key. Let me give you an illustration if this helps. We can learn quite a lot about music by reading a music theory book. And that will help us with some numbers to point to what it's talking about about the relation of a string to a tone, the interval between each and each note. And and uh, you know there are some very mathematical composers. I know some of you wouldn't know this, but the, the composer Bach was brilliant. Had some re- you know people have gone right into this. His beauty of mathematical musical arrangement. But it wouldn't be true to say that you would understand music if you understood maths, would it? If you could see the, the numbers on the page, you wouldn't have found uh, Matthew's passion so deeply moving by Bach or the Toccata and Fugue. There's something more beautiful than just the mechanics of it. The real mystery begins when the, the detail is finished and actually, you hear and sense the glory of that peace. Wisdom is like that. It is far greater. Of course, I'm speaking of things here that is far greater than music. John is concerned for the tiny church, vulnerable flesh-and-blood believers like you and me who are quite unprotected in a hostile world, one that appears to be dead set to tear them apart, and is throwing everything it can to stop them. And that's where the gulf between these slightly obscure texts and us narrows. We may not be thrown into prison, though many of us are in this world right now. We heard of the World Watch List just released last month. It's got worse again. The numbers bigger. The extremity of the incidents higher. I remember we talked to one of those who was involved. He said that we might start having to do not just 50, but 100 because they're vying for the top spots. We might not be thrown into prison or killed for our belief. But many are. And as Ron has helped pointed point out and others from Open Doors, remember that most of the New Testament is written by persecuted Christians for persecuted Christians. But to narrow the gap a little bit more closely... When we think of these other places, we think, well, we are free, aren't we? We are not under despotic regimes of corruption. I won't stray too far down those things because you may say, well, we are. But the reality is we are not as free economically or politically or as religiously as we may think. One of the things that the remarkable man Vaclav Havel, the president of Czechoslovakia taught us is that in the non-communist lands he pointed out they're in many respects as much in the thrall to hostile powers as once were his and the other countries of Eastern Europe. He argues and this is where it begins to hit home, that our consumer society is, is as much built on the lies as what as that which Stalin's regime and Brezhnev's was. Consume more and then you'll be happy. Get the next and the best and then the latest model. The poor will look after themselves. We think that our Western system reflects the order of the universe but it doesn't. Western capitalistic democratic society doesn't reflect the kingdom of God. Of course, there's elements in it that do, absolutely. But our Western culture isn't just an image of the kingdom of God. Look at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five to see what we celebrate and what the kingdom celebrates. Blessed are the persecuted for they shall. Blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. There are good things, please don't mishear me, obviously in, in our nation and I celebrate them. But the point is sometimes when we look from outside our environment, our fish tank. We often don't know what we're blind to, of how much we are beholden to money. So the agendas of the newspapers and the media moguls, those statistics of how many have drowned in the channel and we think of them as, oh, the immigrants, but they're people made in the image of God. Which shocks us more? Remember that maelstrom, we're either part of the kingdom or the principalities and powers are seeking us to give loyalty to them. Ultimately, is our loyalty to one God? We'll love Him with everything that we can and we will love our neighbor as ourselves, irrespective of what passport they may hold. Wisdom is needed. More importantly, we need the eyes given to us by writers like those of of Revelation. John, the apostle. You see, the essence of that beast that he is writing about from the land is that, that it claims absolute, totalitarian power over the lives of people. Do you know Christians are called radical dissenters? Because we say no. We will honor and fulfill and and obey the law where it is good, but we will radically dissent because our first allegiance and our full allegiance is to Jesus. Those powers that seek to say no become the Antichrist. The one who places his portrait, the abomination in the temple, seeking to draw loyalty that is only due to God elsewhere. You see, I think what these numbers, particularly in in Daniel and Revelation, actually want us to have wisdom about is not how do we solve the problem and the precise number of 666. Therefore, this is the Antichrist and we can name and shame her or him. Stalin or the Hitler or the benevolent faces of democracies. But rather to recognize the insipid and insidious challenge that is always about where our loyalty lies. If we've put our place and trust in the value of money, the love of money, that goes really deep. But will crumble like the Roman Empire. What did Jesus say about wealth? It rusts. And moths get in there and nibble away. You can't take it with you. But we will live into eternity. He says, better store up treasure there, doesn't he? You know, there's more in the Bible about our possession and our money and what we do with it than, than most other things. But we, we don't read that in the West. I mean, we read it when you read the Bible, but it doesn't, it kind of bounces off, doesn't it? Because maybe, maybe the influence of our culture is, is more pervasive than we think. In holding up the mirror of Scripture, maybe there's a stirring and a nudging of the Holy Spirit. Some people perceive and and speak that challenges to our loyalty and love for Jesus and faith may come. It may get harder in the West to follow Jesus than it already is, perhaps. I have no prophetic insight in that. But we do need wisdom. Wisdom to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as, as doves, but how and why? Well, remember, the, the essential nature of the beast from the land, the Antichrist, is the one who sets himself up in opposition to all that Christ stands for. I'm going to put my hand up now and say this is an overtly political statement. Put down your guns. I find it very, very perplexing and troubling. Easy to point a finger, but how so many believers in Jesus in America celebrate Trump. Not to say that everything that he's done is bad, something's good. But I can't, for the life of me, see how they can say, he's the saviour of the church. Jesus makes absolute claims over our lives. So does the enemy. But unlike Jesus, the enemy has absolutely no right to do so. He will lie and deceive and distort. The claim of Jesus, the Son of God, the most wonderful human being ever, who is brilliant in every way, has the right to call for our allegiance both because he is truly God and because he exercises power only as the gentle Lord, the one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. It is a claim for absolute authority, but do not forget this. It is one that he exercises by coming alongside us, by teaching us, by healing us, by seeking out the lost and the outcast and finally going to the cross to suffer willingly to rescue the other. There's beautiful verses at Christmas from Isaiah. The government is upon his shoulders. He is the Prince of Peace, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. What a kingdom. There is the wisdom that we seek. There is the guide and the key to what true authority and kingdom living looks like. And there wisdom is, teaches us to watch and remain awake. And the words of 1 Peter 5, 8 come to mind. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But we're also told that Jesus is divine wisdom made flesh, and those who hold to him will in no way be put to shame.